Well, welcome back to Moments with Moni. I'm so glad you're here. Really, because today we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 11. Hello and welcome to Moments with Moni. I'm so glad you're here, where we ponder life from a biblical perspective, where salt makes us thirsty and light exposes darkness. Come, let's ponder these things together. Before we begin, I wanted to share with you something exciting. I was listening to Eternity Ready Radio on Sunday, just before I got up to sing on the worship team at church, and I heard Moments with Moni, episode number 100. The episode covered Revelation chapter 10, and then a rewrite that I did of Song of Solomon to give us an idea of what a really good loving relationship would be between the bride and the bridegroom. If you haven't heard that yet, go back to the archives and listen to episode number 100. I'm so thankful to Eternity Ready Radio that you can listen to online. It's a computer-based radio station. Sunday mornings, if you can't make it out to church and your church doesn't have a service, then come over and take a listen. As for today, we will be looking at Revelation chapter 11. I don't know if you had a chance to read ahead, but this particular chapter will cover the two witnesses, which there's lots of controversy about, of course, and then the seventh trumpet. So we will start reading, and I love the King James Version. I think I mentioned that in one of the earlier episodes, but it's a little easier for people to understand if I read it through the English Standard Version. But sometimes I will refer to the others as well. So here we go, starting in verse 1. John begins to tell us more of what's going on in heaven as he is whisked into heaven and sees this vision. He writes, Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple, leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for forty-two months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for one thousand two hundred and sixty days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harden them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky, and no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood, and to strike the earth with every kind of plague, as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony... The beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry 
and exchange presents, because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God enters them, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. Well, let's leave off right there. That's a lot to digest. I don't know about you, but, well, I think I mentioned it in the past that if you are going to understand Revelation, the book of Revelation, a little better, you need to understand the other 65 books of the Bible, and really vice versa. But if you have read the entire Bible before, are there things in just these verses here that you see that you've seen somewhere else in scripture i know there's a lot of red flags that popped up as i read along in my own mind about what i was reading okay let's unpack this a little bit more starting in verse one john was given a measuring item a reed some say maybe a pen Let's take a look and see what it says in the Strongs. It says, of uncertain affinity, a reed, the plant, or its stem, or that of a similar plant, by implication, a pen. So it could be either one. But anyway, he was, he was given this and told to rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those that worship therein in that section. But the court that's on the outside of the temple, leave that out. Don't measure that because... The time of this measuring, when the two witnesses are there, the Gentiles will be in that outer court, and that is not to be measured, included in the holy city, because the holy temple will be forever God's. But those that are on the outer court, the Gentiles will not be, those are the ones that are not following God during the tribulation period. So that area will not be included in the measurement of this temple. And John is told that the Gentiles outside of this holy city, they will be treading underfoot 40 and two months. Are you familiar with that term? 40 and two months? 42 months can also be translated as three and a half years. Does that Toss up a red flag anywhere? And during this time, God says he will give power to his two witnesses, and they'll prophesy for how long? A thousand two hundred and three score days, or a thousand two hundred and sixty days, and they'll be clothed in sackcloth. That one thousand two hundred and sixty days is also forty-two months, or three and a half years. So that'll be exactly one half of the entire tribulation period, which a lot of commentators like to separate into three and a half years and three and a half years. The first being the tribulation and the second half being the great tribulation. 
And many commentators as well state that this seven-year time period is the 70th week of Daniel and the fulfillment or the continuation of the prophecy that was from Ezekiel. So as we look further into it, we have two witnesses and many people conjecture about who these are. But if we look at what they are able to do, it's similar to some of the things that have been done in the past in Scripture. I think we need to be reminded that the times of the Gentiles are from back from uh, the time of Nebuchadnezzar to the end of the Great Tribulation under the Antichrist, which is still yet to come. For the temple, even today, is not under Jewish control. These two witnesses have the power to shut heaven and stop it from raining. Oh, go without three, four days without water and a shower right now down in poor Texas, whose pipes are freezing and they don't have the water that they need. This is going to be an awful time, three and a half years of no rain. And not only that, during that time, there's going to be many other things like plagues. As often as they want to, they can turn the water into blood to smite the earth with plagues as often as they want to. God Almighty has given these, these two the power to do these things to try and get the people to repent still to this point. And yet the hardness of their heart keeps them from doing so. The powers that they are given are very similar to the things that Moses and Elijah have done in the past. So, yes, some conjecture there are other people, um, but most lean towards this being Moses and Elijah. And if any man will try to hurt them during this time, these two will have the power to destroy others with fire from their mouth and devour their enemies. To be able to hurt them in this manner, to, to kill others who are trying to kill them for three and a half years. How long are we merciful and encourage others to repent? Do we take three and a half years to do so? No. We hear something about someone who's a godly man and all of a sudden he's fallen and he's just dirt in our eyes and we just toss him out into the trash heap and speak ill about him when he's gone. Yes, it's all over the news currently. But I have to remember when I hear things like that, I remind myself, there but for the grace of God go I. I'm not above doing anything like that. And shame on me if I put someone up on a pedestal in my own mind, in my own heart, and then knock him off because I heard stories from someone else. It's my job to pray. I don't know the whole story. God does. Maybe, maybe the people closest to whatever's going on, they might know the whole story. But a lot of times the enemy can use something like this to divide and conquer. So I make sure that I look at my own heart at times like this because sin is ugly. And in the end, I only have the power to be able to control my own life. I can't do that for anybody else. 
It's my job to pray for all of those involved because only God knows the intents of the hearts. I don't know who was hurt or who hurt someone else. Only God knows the entire story. So I'm reminded from 1 Corinthians chapter 4 when I hear things like this. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. So don't judge right now. We don't know the whole story. Jesus is coming and he will bring to light all those things that we've got hidden in our own closet. And he is the one who will reveal our motives. And then at that time, everyone will praise God because he is the one that can truly judge a heart because he knows the whole story. He knows us inside and out. And that's why he knows these hearts that are so hardened right now on earth, he's trying to get them to repent. I'm also reminded of Jeremiah's words in chapter 17, starting at verse 9, 9 and 10. The heart is deceitfully wicked. It's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So don't worry what someone else is doing. Yes, protect the women, the children, the widows. Protect the innocent. But let's not point fingers and push people off a pedestal or kick them when they're down. But let's take the time to turn and look at our own heart and see if there be any wicked way within us. And back to the two witnesses in verse 17, after they've finished their testimony and trying to get through to the people, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit is coming out to make war with them and he will conquer them and he will kill them and their dead bodies. They're going to be laying around in the street in that great city, Jerusalem. But symbolically, it's an evil place. It's called Sodom and Egypt where ugly things happen. That's where they're going to be killed just like Jesus was. For three and a half days, the people and the tribes and the languages and all the nations will look at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed into the tomb. They're going to be laying around on the earth and the people are going to be happy. In fact, they're going to make merry and exchange presents. You know, the enemy always likes to mimic what is good. Not that Christmas and Merry Christmas is in the Bible, but it's something that as believers we do to bless one another and to celebrate the birth of Christ. But here, the evil hearts on this earth are going to make merry and exchange gifts because they're so happy that these two prophets are dead and gone 
because they want to continue doing all the evil things that they want to do. And these two were just getting in their way. Don't we just feel like that? Well, I hope not. Hope you don't feel that Jesus is in your way so that you can do whatever you want. Because again, this will be the outcome. In times past, as people read their Bible in this section, they couldn't understand how the world was going to be able to see these two people, these two witnesses that were laying on the ground dead, and people were happy that they were rotting in the streets. It's just an awful picture. And yet today, we can easily see how this is something that the entire world can see around the entire earth on CNN or Whichever network you want to choose. I can just imagine people walking up to their dead bodies, taking selfies, and being happy because these horrible tormentors are now dead. They will have so much fun for three and a half days. And then all of a sudden, something strange is going to happen. And those bodies are going to rise up and go to heaven. The two witnesses will stand on their feet and they will put great fear into the people that are left on earth who have been celebrating their death. And then a loud voice from heaven will be saying, come up here. So they go up into heaven in a cloud as their enemies watch them. And when was the last time that happened? We saw Jesus lifted up, going into the clouds, or in the clouds, going up into heaven. And then, while the world is still in shock and in fear, at that very same hour, there will be a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city will fall. 7,000 people will be killed in this earthquake, and the rest of them were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Woo! Did you hear that? And gave glory to the God of heaven. I think he's finally getting through to some. And verse 14 continues, The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is still to come, soon to come. Oh my goodness. If you don't think that was enough, there's still more coming. But, we saw a glimmer of hope there. Glory to the God of heaven. Something else that stood out to me here was that the two witnesses were not taken off of this earth by the enemy until their testimony, their work was finished. The enemy cannot lay a hand on us until we finish the work that God has given us. The devil has no power over our lives. Satan is on a leash by God himself. God will protect us until our testimony is finished. So do not fear those that can kill the body because God is in control at all times. And did you notice how God described the city of Jerusalem at this time? He described it as Sodom, a place certainly in our memory of reading the Bible as a place of immorality and also as Egypt, a place of oppression and slavery. And then also as 
the great city, a term that was often applied to Babylon, the headquarters of the Antichrist, which we will see further in to the book of Revelation. Let's continue with the rest of the chapter, starting at verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Okay, I think we need a reminder that back in Revelation chapter 8, this was already explained. And this is a retelling of that time. It's kind of the parentheses or interlude explaining a little bit deeper of what happened back then. Remember Revelation 8 verse 1 when the lamb opened the seventh seal there was silence in heaven for about half an hour god's work through the two witnesses has been accomplished and the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our lord and of our christ and he shall reign forever and ever the term have become in the Greek grammar indicates an absolute certainty about Jesus' coming and reign, even before the fact is accomplished. Yeah, I was noticing that a lot of this during the time that the witnesses were doing what they were doing, that was the, uh, the verbs were in the past tense. God sees this as finished. It's already done. Remember, he's outside of time and he can see the future. He knows what we are going to do, what we're going to choose. It's not that we're puppets. It's not that he's making us do anything. He's offering his love. He's offering a heart of love that wants to spend time with us forever in a beautiful place that he planned from the beginning. He didn't want us to have to live in this muck and this mire and in all of this sin and ugliness and hate. He wants a beautiful place for us, close to him, close to his heart, and in the beauty that he had originally created for us. Okay, but wait, this is still not the end. There's still a millennium to be described in future chapters. So how come these people are rejoicing at this point already? How can they do that? Well, don't you anticipate the joy of next Christmas? I know I do. I'm looking forward to that because I know Jesus loves me. I know he's going to be there when I leave this earth. And I'll get to be with him forever. 
that brings joy to my heart. And even at present, it gives me a moment of relief to have to stop explaining to you all of the punishment that's coming. But none of this was arbitrary. The punishment fits the crime. The nations are angry with God because he responds with wrath on those that destroy the earth. Yes, God is love. Yes, God is a fair judge. Only he can do that. Like I mentioned earlier, we don't always see the whole picture, but God does. So don't judge completely right now. Let him do it because he knows the whole picture inside and out. We are to love everyone. We are to share the love of God with everyone. But there's also parameters to that love. God explains the way that we are supposed to love others. It's not in a flippant way or in a way that others want us to love them. Have you ever been to a baseball game where people didn't really agree with what the umpire decided, what his call was? There's arguing and shouting on the field and in the stands by the announcers through the news, arguing everywhere. Can you imagine if the pitcher finally decided to just pick up the ball and say, this is my ball, I'm tired of this, I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. That might have worked when you were six or seven. But as adults, we need to mature, become adults. I know there's this thing going around called adulting. Are you there yet? It's taking responsibility for our own actions. During these last days of the church age, the church here, we are to be loving towards one another. Giving, loving, to be kind to one another. But here in Revelation 11, remember the church is not present on earth. It left back in chapter 4 in the rapture. So these things are punishment on those that do not believe in Christ. However, at the end, there were some who gave glory to God. And finally, in verse 19, the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of the covenant was seen in the temple. And there were lightnings and noises and thunderings. Reminds me of a place back in Exodus chapter 19. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of the kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. The scene we have here at the end of the tribulation period is reminiscent of that time at Mount Sinai when all, the, all of Israel was brought before God 
on the mountain where there were lightnings and noises and thunderings and an earthquake and hail. God is good. He's good all the time. He's good and he's just and he's loving and he's merciful. Please take advantage of that now. Take that free offer now. Don't wait until you're made to bow before him. May God give you even greater insight into his word as you study it on your own. Until we meet again, here, there, or in the air. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, please share it with a friend or family. You can also find all of Moni's podcasts on the blog at momentswithmoni.com. And while you're there, I invite you to leave questions or comments so I can share them on the podcast.